Welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast, where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hi, this is Cole. Thanks for tuning in to the Storytelling with Data podcast. As I sit down to record this, I've just returned from a quick trip to Amsterdam, where I delivered a keynote presentation at the People Analytics World Conference. It struck me when I was there standing on stage, both before when prepping and during my actual presentation, how much I love it. It's energizing to stand on stage, all eyes on me, and talk through ideas that I truly believe can help people and increase the impact they can have. After seeing me present, people often seem surprised to learn that I haven't always felt this way. No way, you look so comfortable. This was the reaction of one conference attendee who I was chatting with after my session. And it's true, today I am. But I can still bring to mind some of those first presentations when I was just starting to share what I'd learned about data visualization. Shaky hands, a quivering voice, an abundance of filler words. I will be eternally grateful for those patient early audiences. I think my passion must have been what carried me through, getting people to stick with me as I eventually started to overcome my nerves. Also, I began to notice something interesting. The instant feedback I could get from my audience's reactions. Real-time data I could use to experiment and refine, which I did many hundreds of times. Seeing each encounter, every time I was in front of an audience, whether one or many, as an opportunity to learn and improve. Fast forward to today, I am comfortable and confident on stage. The myth that some people are born as naturally fantastic speakers is one that I would very much like to dispel. Maybe this happens sometimes, but that is definitely the exception, not the norm. When you witness a great presenter in action, what you don't see is the practice and preparation that goes into making things look smooth and easy. Today, I'd like to shed some light on that. Specifically, I'll take you through what I did to prepare for this recent presentation. From the beginning, my idea, turning that into slides, to what I did to ready myself to deliver the content, all the way up to the event itself. Be sure to stay tuned to the end where I'll tell you where you can see this presentation firsthand. Let's begin with the plot for this story. I was invited to present at a conference in Amsterdam back in April. This was on the heels of my keynote at the People Analytics World Conference in London. I've worked with Tucana, the organization that puts on these events, for a number of years and presented at their annual London conference several times. Plus, I have past experience working in people analytics, so I know the audience very well. Given that there was some potential of overlapping attendees between London and Amsterdam, I knew I wanted to create brand new material to present. But it wasn't until the conference organizers reached out about a month ago wanting a session title and description that I began to plan my content. It started with an idea. I often draw inspiration from client examples, but I haven't worked on any in the HR domain recently. And I had the seed of a different approach in mind. 
A common challenge encountered in the people analytics space that is likely relatable for people working in many other functions as well is that the data lives in various systems, often with different people having access to or subject matter expertise in each. With this in mind, I turned to my teammates at Storytelling with Data to help me emulate this. I asked the individuals on my team to each create monthly data and a graph for a different component of HR data, hires, promotions, transfers, and exits. I didn't provide any guidance except to make the graph less than ideal in some way so that there would be something for me to improve. I wasn't sure whether this was going to work until I received all of the graphs back and spent some time exploring them. It was fun to see that they were each imperfect in totally different ways, giving me plenty of options for using them as teaching examples. This established the foundation for the story I wanted to tell, which was one about disparate data being transformed into something more. With this, I was able to set my presentation title and description, sending that off to organizers for promotional purposes as I began to flesh out content. At this point, I got out a blank piece of paper and a pen. I find it easiest to brainstorm with these sorts of low-tech tools. When building presentations, I often start with my navigation scheme. This is the basic structure that I'll follow, which I put into something visual, in this case, a slide. Let me jump ahead for a moment to talk about how I use it, which will help illustrate exactly what it is, and then we'll go back to my brainstorming process. You could think of the navigation scheme like a visual table of contents for the main points I plan to cover. But it ends up having quite a bit of utility beyond that. I typically use it early on in the presentation to set the stage for what I'm going to cover, and then also will refer back to it as I transition from each primary section to the next. This provides good anchors, both for me and for my audience, so they know where we are in the content and get reminded about both where we've been and where we're going. This repetition can be helpful for getting my key points to stick and to get them to stick in a way that people can later recall and hopefully put into practice. Also for me, these become helpful buffer points throughout my content. If I'm running fast on time, I can approach the wrap-up of one section and transition into the next in a more leisurely manner. Whereas if I'm behind on time, I can move swiftly from one to the next. This is one of my tricks for staying pretty much exactly on time every time I present. My brainstorm is focused on setting this navigation scheme, both what it contains in terms of the topics I'm going to cover, as well as the general layout. I approached my brainstorm already having a sense of what I wanted to do, so it became pretty quickly clear that the presentation should have three main sections. I give each a pithy name and start listing out specific topics to potentially cover in each. After playing around with my ideas, wordsmithing, grouping things together, eliminating some ideas, circling others, I identified two primary points or tips to communicate in each of the three sections. Now I have the framework for my content. Next up, layout. For each of the three sections, I'll have the title plus an image. I'll make each section a different color to set them apart. I'll also plan to use the respective color prominently in the given section of the presentation to tie things together visually. Back on the navigation scheme, I know I'll eventually want a recap slide that summarizes the key points in text as well. 
So I land on a layout where the three text boxes for the section titles are arranged vertically on the slide. They'll be in the middle with an image to the left of each and the key points on the right-hand side. With all of these decisions made, I turn to PowerPoint already with a solid plan. I create the slide, inserting images, illustrations from my second book, Let's Practice, that tie to the given section topic, and setting my primary colors, since I decided to go with something different than our standard template. It might be a quirk of my process, but I pretty much have to get this part right before I can push ahead and create actual content. I grapple with things throughout both the low-tech brainstorming and putting things officially on the page as I design in PowerPoint. Things may shift a little at this point, but once I have my navigation scheme set, it's pretty firm and well-vetted. I design the final wrap-up slide first, which has the section titles, images, and key points. Then I create copies and format them individually to meet my needs. The basic structure stays the same, but when I introduce a navigation scheme early on, I'll animate it so I can build it one section at a time as I talk through it, and without the key lessons since I'll cover those within the respective sections. Then I make versions where all of the elements on the slide are gray except the given section I'm introducing, which will be in full color. With these set, now I have the basic outline for my presentation. So all that's left to do is to actually build out the slides in each section, which I can do in turn. For this presentation, I will be illustrating lessons through an example. So graphs are the focal point of most of my content slides. I build these graphs directly in PowerPoint and spend time designing and formatting them to meet my needs. As I go along, I make good use of the speaker notes section below each slide. At first, I use this to capture ideas on things I plan to do with the content and things that I don't want to forget as I maybe turn away and work on something else or time goes by before I come back and work again. And as I build out the actual content, these notes get replaced with plans for what I'll actually say on each. Now, I don't always build out speaker notes to this extent, but find it helpful when I'm working on a new situation and story, which was the case here. Also, I know that there may be opportunities to use this content more than once, or there may even be times when others on the team could potentially be delivering it or might want to use the same general framing with a new example. Having speaker notes captured is going to make all of this easier. I don't write out everything I plan to say, but the basic story and especially the points that I don't want to forget. I won't memorize this by any means, but having a light script will definitely assist my practicing. Speaking of practicing, I started doing that even before having my slides fully built out. At first, this helps me confirm that I'm on the right track and have come up with content that can be presented. I start figuring out ways to tie things together verbally, which helps drive my continued content development. I am a big fan of practicing out loud. This is something I've discussed before here on the podcast, and there's also an entire chapter devoted to refining through practice in my latest book, Storytelling With You. Practicing aloud is important because it helps you simply find your words and also forces you to verbalize the transitions between slides, graphs, and topics. Smooth transitions can both help things make more sense to your audience as you form connections for them to follow and also make the overall presentation feel refined and thoughtful. 
My audible practice in this case took a couple of different forms at different points in time. I should maybe mention my timeline at this juncture. I had recounted before that I looked at the data the team had set me to vet my general idea and set the title and description about a month ahead of the conference. That would have probably been a reasonable amount of time for me to continue working on it, building out content and practicing on top of my other work. In reality, however, (laughs) I sent the details and then went on vacation for three weeks with my family, which was lovely, but left me only about a week to really work on it. I spent about half that work time creating content, uh, and I did still eat, sleep, and do other work and life, and the other half practicing it. I would say I've definitely gotten more comfortable over time not having as long as a lead time both for generating content and also for preparing to present. But even given that, this was pretty short order. I'm generally a fan of leaving more time because things always tend to take longer than you expect them to. And they often take even longer than that to do them well. I'll share one piece of advice at this point that I've given before, which is if you find yourself short on time, Don't spend it continuing to iterate on or perfect your graphs and slides. Spend it on you. Having the perfect graph is not what's going to make or break your presentation. Being able to talk through your work effectively and express your ideas eloquently is. In other words, you might have a beautiful graph, but if you can't talk through it in a meaningful way and connect with your audience, that beautiful graph will fail. The opposite, however, is not true. Your graph or slide may not be perfect, but if you can talk about it in a way that engages your audience, keeps their attention, and imparts understanding, that can still be a winning recipe. To do this takes practice. My first round of practice in this instance was allowed with my slides. I work at a high top desk and know that I'll be standing when I eventually give this presentation, so I stood in front of my computer talking through my content. For this review, I stayed in normal view in PowerPoint, not presentation mode, both so I could still scan through all of my speaker notes as I talked and so I could make adjustments to them on the fly as needed. I used this rehearsal to estimate the interactive pieces to see how I was faring against my 40-minute time slot on the conference agenda knowing that I had those buffers I mentioned in the form of my navigation slides to expand or contract as needed during the presentation itself. Another buffer I have built in is time for questions. I estimate based on my trial run that I should have a solid 10 minutes for questions, which I'm happy with. I also did a quick flip through of my slides in presentation mode to double check that the level of animation felt right given my general planned talking points and made a couple tweaks to that. The next morning, I woke up early and practiced aloud without my slides. Did this while I was walking the dog around the neighborhood. This is a great way to practice because it forces me to remember what comes next. Uh, Something that's going to be relatively much easier when I actually have the resource of my slides there with me. This can sometimes highlight changes in terms of eliminating or reordering content that can be helpful. If you do it aloud from memory in a different way than you had originally planned and it works, that can give you cues for this type of refinement. This sort of practice can be done anytime you're doing something that doesn't use your full mind share. When taking a shower or driving somewhere in the car, for example, 
I also think there's benefit in doing it somewhere different from your normal working environment. Your desk, for example, if ultimately when you communicate, you're going to be in a different space. This brings us all the way up to travel day. I was flying the day before the conference. I used the first part of the long plane ride to review my slides on my laptop. I did one review reading my speaker notes so that all the key points would be top of mind. Then another review in presenter mode, actually thinking through what I would say in my head. While I'm happy to talk to myself aloud while in my office or walking around the neighborhood, even I draw the line at doing so during air travel. I was feeling pretty good about my content at this point. On my run along the many canals of Amsterdam the morning of the conference, I did think through a couple of the parts I wanted to hit particularly well one more time. This can be good to do with any rough patches to commit order or keywords or phrases to memory. I did one final flip through of my presentation in the prep room at the conference venue just to make sure I had the order of some of the transitions straight in my head. This review was fast. I spent at most five minutes just going from slide to slide, mainly to make sure nothing surprised me in terms of the order. I wasn't clear at this point whether I'd be able to see presenter mode while I was presenting, so I didn't know whether I'd be able to peek at what slide comes next and wanted to make sure I'm prepared in case that wouldn't be the case. At this point, it was time for the tech check. The conference was already in full swing, but participants were at lunch, which gave me the main stage to myself. I greeted the production crew, introduced myself, got my laptop hooked up to the podium, figured out where I'd put my water bottle so it would be within reach. I put up my presentation one last time and flipped through it while walking around the room so I could see how it looked from the sides and the back and to make sure the contrast of the projector was sufficient for everything I would show, which it was. I did this check with about 45 minutes to go into my presentation, which would have given me enough time to adjust my content if there'd been any minor issues. Once I knew my slides were good, I scrolled back to the beginning and put my title slide up so it would be ready for me as I turned my attention to myself and the stage to get a sense of my bearings and how to best move. The room was wide, not deep, with chairs both in front and also fanning out at angles on the sides. Given the shape, if I were addressing or looking towards people at the left, I'd be facing away from those on the right and vice versa. This meant that I would need to walk back and forth across the stage, pausing at the left and addressing people there, then moving to the center and also to the right, taking care to roughly balance these out. The main screens were to the left and right of the stage, with smaller screens placed further back for those seated toward the rear of the room. There was a confidence monitor at the foot of the stage so that I could see what was happening on screen without turning. This meant that if I wanted to refer to a slide or point people's attention to the screen, I should do it with both hands simultaneously or in succession. One of the techs helped me put on the lapel microphone, and we tested it. There would be runners with microphones for questions. During the interactive portions, I'll ask people to shout out ideas, and I'll make sure to repeat those back through my microphone so that everyone can hear. After doing all of this, I still had some time left, so I took a walk around the floor outside of the conference room, smiling and saying hello to everyone I passed. When people started to return from lunch, I returned to the main room and chatted with a few attendees, including a former colleague from Google who I hadn't realized would be there. Between him, my husband Randy, who joined me, and several others who I chatted with, 
I already had a number of friendly faces in the audience, which is always nice. I stood off stage as the conference host introduced me, taking slow, deep breaths as I looked out to the audience. Then I walked, smiling, on stage, paused, and then launched into my presentation. When I present, all of the practicing ahead of time means that I know my content extremely well and can be entirely in the moment, observing people's faces and other nonverbal cues, reacting and adjusting as I go. I also make sure to simply enjoy being there, sharing the physical space and my passion for sharing information that I believe people can use to improve their work. I will say this was a lot of prep, a lot of practicing. And for me, the importance of the session and how that preparation and practice made me feel all balanced out in a good way. In some instances, it might be worth doing even more than this. Related to that, if you want a comprehensive overview of strategies for planning, creating, preparing to deliver, building your confidence, and delivering powerfully, I'll point you to my latest book, Storytelling with You. Even if you don't have an important presentation on the horizon, I encourage you to think about when and how you might take pieces of what I've shared today to apply to your general work, preparing for your update at the weekly team meeting or your conversation with colleagues to both set yourself up for success in these situations and use them to build a habit or routine of practice so it doesn't feel overwhelming when you need to amp it up for that more important meeting or presentation. If you liked this episode of the Storytelling with Data podcast, you might also enjoy episode 45, The Power of Post-its. This one's great if you're planning a report, dashboard, or presentation. I discuss my favorite low-tech planning strategy, storyboarding. This includes a repeatable process to brainstorm, edit, and solicit feedback to create shorter, targeted, and generally more effective communications. I'll also highlight episode 37, It's For Them, where I dive deep on audience, an important consideration as you prepare for any presentation or communication, discussing ways to identify and prioritize their needs, strategies for approaching mixed audiences, and tips for getting to know an unfamiliar audience. Before I wrap, a couple quick updates. If you would like to see the presentation I've been talking about today, I invite you to join our Open to Everybody Worldwide Live Virtual event on October 25th, that's 2023, that'll take place from 11 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. I'll share a journey starting with that disparate data and using viewer input to transform it into great graphs and a stellar story. Plus, answer viewer questions live. Simply visit storytellingwithdata.com slash good to great to register. That's storytellingwithdata.com slash good to great. G-O-O-D-T-O-G-R-E-A-T. I mentioned my latest book, Storytelling With You, Plan, Create, and Deliver a Stellar Presentation. If you like listening to the podcast, I'm excited to announce that the audio book will be released in a few short days. We recorded that exactly where I'm recording for you today from our studio in Wisconsin. Uh, that will be released on September 26th, 2023. Look for it wherever audiobooks are sold. 
Speaking of books, if you teach from or would like to teach from Storytelling with Data books in a university setting, be sure to check out our instructor resource page. This includes real-world data sets, exercises, even a course project guide. You'll find all of that and more at storytellingwithdata.com university. We have just two more virtual public workshops taking place in 2023. Join the Storytelling with You half-day workshop focused on presentation planning and delivery on October 19th or the Storytelling with Data half-day workshop, where learning centers on creating effective graphs and weaving them together into a story, on November 16th, 2023. Details and registration at storytellingwithdata.com workshops. Use the code PODCAST10 at checkout for 10% off registration price. That's PODCAST10. Our 2024 public workshop schedule will be released in late October. Would you like to ask a question or share a challenge you're facing with one of the talented and experienced folks on the Storytelling with Data team? That's one awesome benefit of premium membership in the Storytelling with Data community. Join weekly office hours to get input on your work, brainstorm approaches, or get your data, graph, and presentation questions answered. Learn more at community.storytellingwithdata.com premium. If you like to learn via video or would appreciate data visualization and presentation resources to share with colleagues, check out the Storytelling with Data YouTube channel. That's at storytellingwithdata.com YouTube. Subscribe for a no-cost way to support us and be notified of new episodes. Speaking of subscribing, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Thanks very much for tuning in.